listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. We've come to celebrate His resurrection and the fact that He calls us to be raised to new life with Him. So, um, you know what I love? I love Easter Sunday morning celebrating. But you know what I really love? I love doing it at Bethany First Church with you. I just got to tell you that my family and I, we feel so blessed to be here. Six years ago, my very first Sunday was on Easter. I was blown away. And uh, for these past six years, we are so thankful to be a part of this family. And uh, just just really good to be here. My pastor is here this morning, Dr. Terry Rowland, and uh, our district superintendent, and it's good to celebrate Jesus with you. So let's get right to it and let's talk about reality, okay? Let me give you a definition. Reality uh, would be the way things are. That's profound, isn't it? See, you've already learned something. Uh, The way things are. So my wife Annette has an uncle named Bob, and Bob is kind of loud, and he's from the Northeast, and uh, he only calls me by my last name. Hey, Harvey. That's why he talks to me in that tone. And uh, he always says this to me. Hey, Harvey, reality check. So what he's trying to say to me is, why don't you just kind of admit the way things really are? And so that's what we mean when we talk about reality, living in this world of reality, the way that things are. You might say, if I'm not living in this world of reality or seeing things for how they are, what is opposed to that? Well, Opposed to that is to see things the way you might want them to be. Okay? So, let me, let me talk to you about that for a minute. You may say, okay, Rick, th- this is my life right now. And this is the way my life is. Alright? But it doesn't mean that that's the way I want my life to be. I know this is very real. This is reality right here. So let me give you some examples. You may look at your own personal finances and you say, okay, this is the way my finances are. But it doesn't mean that it's the way I want my finances to be. Anybody, do I have a witness in the house this morning? Amen, okay. Or you may say, when I look at my own physical well-being, this is the way it is. But it doesn't mean that it's the way I want to be physically. All right? Or you may think about your moral choices. So when you think about your own morality, you may say, okay, Pastor Rick, this is how I am. These are choices I make. These are the things that I do. doesn't mean that it's what I really want to do or how I want to one day be. Or you may think about relationships in your life. I don't like it, but some of my relationships aren't on real solid ground. It doesn't mean it's the way I want my relationships to be. So what about your relationship with God? If you just get real honest with yourself and just say, if I'm just going to be totally honest with myself and admit to myself, this is what my relationship with God looks like right now. Doesn't mean it's where I always want my relationship to God to be. Maybe one day, and I know God wants more, my relationship with God can be better. So here we go. You ready? Lean in. Just dream with me. Just for a couple of seconds. What if? What if? What if in your life there could be a whole new reality? What if you can move from where you are now 
to where you would really love to be. So we've talked about reality. Now let's talk about the gospel. The gospel basically means good news. I have some really good news for you, okay? And the good news is that in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, Jesus has opened the way for a whole new reality. The kingdom of God has come. Something very real has happened. And there are new possibilities for your life because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You could really move from where you are to where you really, really want to be. So you might say, where, where do you get this stuff? So I get this stuff from um, a book in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, if you want to open a Bible with me. And I'm going to be in chapter 15, and I'm going to read those first 11 verses, okay? So let me give you some backstory. This will help you as we start reading this passage. There's a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. His name was Paul, and he was a missionary, which means that he left what was comfortable and familiar to him, and he went to other cities and other places to share Jesus with people. So one time he goes to a city called Corinth. And while he's there, he begins to talk about the fact that Jesus lived and he died and he was raised from the dead. And people begin to put their faith in Jesus and begin to follow Jesus. And so in Corinth, in Corinth rather, there was this community of believers, maybe like the community of believers that's here today, okay? And they formed this church. And every week, like many of you, every week come to church, they came to church. They begin to worship together. So after a year and a half, Paul leaves to plant more churches. But he gets reports about how they're doing. And there was a problem. One of the problems was that they begin to struggle to believe in resurrection. Even Jesus' resurrection. And so in light of that, Paul writes these words to them. You ready? Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel or the good news that I preached to you. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, by this good news, you are saved. So you might say like, saved from what? Like saved from the penalty of your sin? Saved from your past life? Maybe even saved from your own self? And the threat you can be to yourself. Uh, you got to back up one. I didn't read the last one, I don't think. So what you received and on what you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you were saved. I'm sorry, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> if you hold firmly to the word, I preached to you. Otherwise, in other words, if you don't hold firmly, you have believed in vain. Now it gets really interesting. You ready? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And this is like what we would call a creed. You ready for the creed? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared. And then He makes this long list. First to Cephas, who was Simon Peter. And then He gets very technical. It's almost like He's becoming an apologist to defend the resurrection. And then to the twelve. And after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living. Though some have fallen asleep, which He means have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, 
As to one abnormally born, what he means is I came along a little later, okay? For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. And it gets really personal now. And he starts to reflect on his own story and on how his own reality changed. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am now what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. I'm trying to tell you, He changed my life. I used to be this way, and now I'm this way. I used to persecute the church, and now I'm preaching for the church. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. In other words, this is what gave you a new reality. This is when your life changed. So I'm so thankful for God's Word, aren't you? Um, I've, been, I've been paying attention a lot lately to the life of this man whose name was Billy Graham. So I remember as a kid growing up, maybe you'd turn on the TV in the evening, and there would be televised from somewhere around the world a Billy Graham crusade. So he was not only America's pastor, but he traveled the world. He counseled many presidents. He was most known for these big evangelistic crusades. Kind of came home to me a few years ago when a friend of mine named Dick Hines, got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And I got to disciple Dick in his journey with Jesus. But I was watching television one night at home recently, and I saw that there was a program about him that was coming on, and so I recorded it. And a few days later, I watched it. And I'm sitting there watching it, and Annette comes walking through the living room, and honestly, I'm pretty emotional. And maybe it's because I'm a preacher, I'll admit that, I don't know. But I was just overwhelmed at this guy because everywhere he went, every time they put a camera in front of him or a microphone in front of him or people in front of him, he proclaimed this gospel. And he would say it like this, everybody has sinned. And therefore everybody needs a Savior. And God has provided forgiveness for your sins through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and was raised to life. And you can be raised to life with Him. So here's what really got my attention. You watch Fallon? Nobody watches Fallon. There's not one soul in the whole room that watches Fallon? Somebody? Okay, I got a few. I got some takers now. So who do you watch? I'm going to move off this because we're making no progress whatsoever here. So back years ago, like... 40 years ago, they would actually invite Billy Graham on their talk shows, late night talk shows. These guys weren't Christians, by any means. And they could be a little risky at times. But they would invite Billy Graham on the show. And so can you imagine Fallon having like some major preacher on a show? And so he would get that microphone in front of him. And you know what he would say? All have sinned. And all are in need of forgiveness. 
And God has provided forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, who was buried but was raised from the dead, and He wants to raise you to new life. And I just realized, man, this was His message. And people came to Jesus by the thousands. And do you know why they came? Because they realized they needed a new reality. My life looks like this. This is real. This is what exists right now. But it doesn't mean it's what I want my life to look like. I want my life to look like this. And for years, people have realized they were broken. And it's what happened when Paul goes to this city called Corinth. And people realize, this is what my life looks like. This is real. But it's not what I want my life to look like. I want my life to look like this. And so they heard the gospel and they believed and they had a whole new reality. So I just look around like you do. And I'm always trying to figure people like, like, out like you are. And I see people chasing something. And, and with all of our money, and we've got a lot of money, I'm just telling you, we are a wealthy nation. And with all of our information, and with all of our technology, and with all of our stuff, and with all of our toys, we appear to be the most depressed generation that has ever lived. And so we look at our lives and we say, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. It's got to be better than this, right? I want to be here. But unfortunately, this is what is real, and I want a new reality. And so we just turn to our money because we have so much and say, maybe I can buy myself a new reality. And the marketers get it. They know us. They figured us out. They're trying to sell us new cars and trendy clothes and devices and gadgets. And it all leaves us kind of empty. And so we turn to relationships. Maybe if I get the right person in my life, then maybe I can move from where I am to where I want to be. Maybe that's all I need is just somebody to love me, man. And we turn to things like sex. Because I want to live again. I want my heart to beat. I want my heart to race. I need some spice in my life. This is what my life is like, and I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be something else. And we turn to substances, and we become enslaved to substances. So what do you do? What's a person to do when nothing seems to deliver what it promises? So one of the things I like about this guy who writes, Paul, he, he's always great at saying, this is what you should do. Okay, so I think we ought to get into a conversation about this. All right. So you happen to be aware of what's going on this weekend, Easter weekend in your city, Oklahoma City. You have any idea? There's a convention downtown. Do you know who's here? Right. The atheist. It is the national from all over the country, all over the U.S. Atheists have come upon Oklahoma City. And they're having a convention. And it was, it was intended, we're going to do this Easter weekend. When all the Christians are celebrating something that we don't believe, we're going to celebrate what we believe. And so it started on Thursday night, and it's going to end this afternoon. And their last deal is a service project. They're packing thousands of meals, probably already. And they're going to distribute them to people who live in the Oklahoma City area who are in need of food. The atheists are doing this. 
One of the workshops I noticed when I got on their website was how to convert a Christian to atheism in 15 minutes. Probably the thing on the website that got my attention the most was an ad advertising this convention. And, and it was two Easter bunnies, and there were some eggs, lush green lawn, and one Easter bunny says to the other, an atheist celebration in Oklahoma City? Question mark. Next line said, now that's believable! Exclamation point. You know what? Th th think with me, okay? What if? All right, just just think with me for a minute. What if? What if atheist? All right, people who say they don't believe in God. What if atheist? What if atheist? You you with me? I want you to lean in, okay? What if atheist really believed? And really felt and really thought. What if this was really in their heads? What if the atheist really believed and really felt and really thought, I don't believe like Christians believe, but I got to tell you, they're like the nicest, most kind, most compassionate, most generous people I've ever met in my life. I don't believe like Christians believe. In fact, I think they've lost it. But I've got to tell you this. When I'm around Christian people, I think they really deeply care about me. Makes you wonder if that was the message we conveyed to them and if that was really what they believed and thought and felt, would there be less atheists? Makes you wonder. So they have kind of a hero. And they quote him a ton on their website. His name... Stephen Hawking. So Stephen Hawking would be considered one of the brilliant minds of the century. He's a physicist, cosmologist, in fact, head of the Department of Cosmology at the University of Cambridge. Two weeks ago, driving down the road in my car, and the news says, today, Stephen Hawking passed away. And man, I felt this emptiness inside of me. I thought to myself, he never, he never knew Jesus. He never knew what it felt like to be forgiven of sin. And to have this incredible connection to the God who created everything. In fact, here's what Stephen Hawking said. Stephen Hawking said, I believe the simplest explanation is this. There is no God. No one created the universe. And no one directs our fate. There probably, therefore, is no heaven. And no afterlife either. Now, I've got to ask you to focus on the first two words. I believe. Did you know that Stephen Hawking was a man of faith? And there's a reason why he did not say, there is no God. He had to preface it with the words, I believe there is no God, because you cannot disprove the existence of God. Stephen Hawking couldn't. Nobody can. It takes a lot of faith to believe there is no God. 
like it takes faith to believe there is God. I, I think you're ahead of me because you're really smart. You're really sharp. You're probably already one step down the road, right? But this is the crux of Paul's communication to the people in Corinth. And he is challenging them about this. What do you believe about God? And what do you believe about Jesus? And what do you believe about the resurrection? And so he just goes into this creed mode. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And then he was raised from the dead. I thought I might get more than just your amen, but I do appreciate yours. You, you know this. But, but our faith, the entire Christian faith, hangs on the facts of the resurrection, right? So if, if it didn't happen, we're all washed up. I mean, the whole, the whole thing crumbles. Because you got a man who lived 2,000 years ago who said, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. And so think with me a minute. If it doesn't happen, he's a hoax. And everything else that he said comes into question. You can't believe the guy. But if he does, then the world changes. <laughs> and it's a whole new reality. And the world will never be the same again. His footprint will be on everything. And so early in the morning, these women got up and they go to the tomb. But when they get to the tomb, they find that the stone has been rolled away, right? And they look into the tomb and nobody is there. And there's an angel that said, he's not here, ladies. He has risen. And the disciples, they get to going and they run to the tomb and they check it out for themselves. And they find the tomb is empty and their only clothes laying in the tomb. And then over a period of the next 40 days, Jesus appears to many people. And so Paul... As an apologist defending the resurrection says, here's who he appeared to, to Cephas, which is Simon Peter, and then to the twelve, and then to more than five hundred. And what he's saying is simply this, we have eyewitnesses. He died. And then they saw him again. And then to James, and then to the, all the apostles. And then Paul says, finally, to me. So, I'm okay with it. And, and I don't mind what he said. And I, and I don't mind people saying, and the resurrection has stood the test of historians and archaeologists and on and on and on. I get it. I'm good with it. I understand. Textual criticism. The studying of the original manuscripts. I'm, I'm great with all of that. It does impress me, I think. Not as much as some other things impress me. Like things that... You can't explain. Like these disciples of his. Who on that Friday night that he was arrested. Ran for their lives. And when they corner Simon Peter he goes. I don't know the guy. I promise I've never met him. You've got me confused. Three times. And after the resurrection, they start dying for him. Ten of the twelve died for him. I mean, if I, if I find a great leader, I might follow him. 
And I might be really excited about what he's saying. And I might even give money to the campaign, you know. I'm not dying for him. Let me just tell you that right now. And they gave their lives because... How do you explain stuff like this? How do you explain this? So I'm not a world traveler, but once in a while I'll get down to Central America and every time I do I see churches and I'll be driving back through country and there's a church and there's churches every corner, right? And then I go to South America and what do I find? More churches all over the place. Just churches everywhere. Church, 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 church. And then I go to Africa and what do I find? Churches on every corner. And all through the U.S., churches in every city and every town and every village and every community. And I find hospitals everywhere that are named Christ Hospital and Baptist Hospital and St. Joseph's and St. Anthony's and St. Thomas. And schools like Harvard and Princeton and Yale that were started by Christians. Christian schools. And the church isn't losing steam. It's building steam. Now, scratch your head with me, would you? Come on, scratch it. Doesn't it seem like to you that if there was nothing to it, after 2,000 years, it would finally just fizzle out? How does it keep growing? Because he's alive. And if he wasn't, you would barely read about him in a history book. But instead, his footprint has changed the world. So, uh, so your response caught me off guard. I wasn't expected, and I lost my place. I don't know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> but just keep it coming. I like that. Uh, one other thing that I, I can't explain. Make fun of me if you want. I don't care. It's uh, subjective. I'm just going to lay it out. I know what I felt. (laughs) You mean that's what you're bringing to the table? Yeah. That's what I got. You can't tell me otherwise. Jesus spoke to me. Not audibly. It would be cool if he did. I wish he would. That would be so cool. I'd write a book. But Jesus spoke to me. Jesus came to me. He drew me. He called me. He loved me. And here's kind of the last section of the sermon. And then he changed my life. So everybody who knew me knew it. I was 19. My mom said to me, Ricky, I can't get over what you've become and how different you are. My dad... My brother Terry, my sisters, Linda and Darla, they would just talk to me about it. You have changed so much. My best friend in high school, Todd, he said, I've heard about people changing before, dude, but I've never seen it. It's never happened with anybody I know like it's happened with you. So, it's kind of Paul's story. He says, I know I showed up late to the game. I didn't go in the tomb. I wasn't with the apostles. I didn't see what they saw. I didn't put my fingers in his hands like Thomas did. I wasn't there for all of that. I kind of showed up late. But I was on a road one day to Damascus and Jesus came to me. 
And here's what Paul says. And it was not, I love these words, don't you? It was not without effect. In other words, he changed my life. I used to persecute Christians and now I'm preaching the gospel. How nuts is that? You know? And I think that's what you would say is your story. And that's what's my story. I wasn't at the tomb. But Jesus came to me. And he changed my life. So my wife Annette and I, we were eating dinner with this lady. Her name is Natalie. She's probably sitting in front of me somewhere. And her kids one day and eating lunch with them. And Natalie just says to me and Annette, been attending I think for maybe a year. And she just says, you guys have no idea how different my life is since I started following Jesus. And, and a few Sundays ago, we baptized like 40 people, and it was the story over and over again. He has changed my life. It's a whole new reality because Jesus lived, died, and was raised. And he invites us to this new life, raised life with him. I love it. Do you? I love it. I love it. You want to stand with me? So... One of the things that I love about Easter Sunday morning is that we get to be often with family. And many of you are setting together as families. And, and I think it's so cool that you're in church together this morning. And so we're going to sing in a moment. And we're also going to have this opportunity to pray. And you can come down um, and pray at the altar. Or you can pray where you are. That's, that's up to you. But I kind of felt like because I have a family too. And I'm just going to tell you, my family, we've always got something to pray about. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. And so this morning I thought it would be really great as if as a family, you might just kind of take each other's hands and walk down and kneel at the altar together and huddle up around each other. Or maybe where you are, just kind of shoulder to shoulder, arm around each other and just say, hey, let's pray together about some of this stuff that we're dealing with, you know, in our lives. I understand it also could be that you say, Rick, this is what my life looks like now, and it's not the life I want. This is more like what I want. Deep down, I've wanted it for a long, long time. You're telling me that if I put my trust in Jesus... He can give me a new life, a new reality. Hey, I promise you He can give you a new reality. So when I was 19, it was like I was born all over again. Those are Jesus' words, by the way. I was born when I was a little baby, but when I was 19, I was born again. I was given this new life, this new reality. And there'll be pastors here this morning, one over on my right and one over on my left. And if that pastor gets busy, another pastor will appear. They would love to pray with you if you want a pastor to pray with you. Or if you want to be prayed for if you're sick. The Bible tells us when somebody gets sick, you should pray for them. So if you want to be prayed for and you need healing, come and let a pastor pray for you. Or if there's somebody that you love that you want to pray for this morning, you, you should feel a freedom for whatever reason. To either come down and kneel here and pray or to put your arm around the people beside you and pray with them there. But we're going to celebrate our faith before we go and take this opportunity.